Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. on the air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today, I am thrilled to be on words to welcome Dr. D.P. Lyle to the show. Um, those of you who don't know Doug Lyle have missed out on some of the best books and some of the best podcasts on, on, on posting, podcasting apps today. Let me tell you a little bit about this man in case you don't know. He is the, an Amazon number one best-selling author. He's got a McCavity, a, a Benjamin Franklin Silver Award, uh, two Edgars, a Seamus and Agatha and Anthony, a Scribe USA Today Best Book, Forward Indies Book of the Year nominated. Um, I can't even go through all the awards he has for all of his great books. Not only that, he works with many novelists and other and popular television shows such as Law and Order, CSI, Miami, Diagnosis, Murder, Monk, Judging Amy, Peacemakers, Cold Case, House, Medium, Women's Murder Club, 1-800-Missing, The Glades, and Pretty Little Liars as a forensic consultant. Um, he was born in Huntsville, Alabama, Roll Tide Roll, um, where his, his childhood interests revolve around football, baseball, and building rockets in his backyard. Sounds like something my brothers did. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, Dr. Lyle is a medical, pract- uh, medical doctor. He has um, did an uh, internship his internal medicine uh, residency at the University of Texas in Houston, a fellowship in cardiology at the Texas Heart Institute, and also in Houston. For the past 40 years, he pra- he's been practicing cardiology in, uh, in Orange County, California. Um, he is also my colleague in this network and is the creator and host of Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. If you don't go and listen to this, then you really you're making a big mistake if you're a crime fiction writer. It is a master class and it doesn't cost you anything. Doug Lyle, welcome to the first time to Authors on the Air. Yeah, thank and, you. Glad to be here. You know, I, the last time we spoke actually was from the live remote at Thriller Fest last year. And we both kind of looked at each other, and I said, "Gosh, I want you to do a show." And you said, "I want to do a show," and that's the last <laughs> thing we said. And then, and then we had a nice conversation with a bunch of other authors. So yeah, it was fun. Congrats! <laughs> congratulations on the release today of um, your new Longley book, Sunshine State. And of course, I have to love this book because, indeed, I do live in the crazy Sunshine State. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
you know, Doug, as serious as you are about all of your work as a cardiologist and a forensics expert and as a as a master class teacher on crime fiction, your books don't take a whole, I mean, they're serious, but there's an awful lot of humor in them. Well, especially the Longley series. And of course that was yeah. the purpose, you know, my other stuff was a little more noir and a little more procedural and a little more, you know, true, true crime. I mean, uh, crime fiction. This right. obviously revolves around crime, but basically I wanted to write funny stories that, uh, that had dead people, you know. <laughs> yeah, isn't it interesting that in, um, in medical examiners and law enforcement officers kind of have this obscene, twisted sense of humor? And isn't that because if you don't have some kind of a dark humor, it will pull you under? Oh, sure. You know, and I think cops are the same way. I mean, Mm-hmm. Um, you see cops and docs talking in the ER, and we basically speak the same language and have the same warped sense of humor. Um, you try to do this out in polite conversation, and people look at you horrified. So that's not funny. You say, well, actually, it was. You should have been there. Um, right. But but yeah, everything is funny. Everything has a funny edge to it. And um, yeah, you you defuse a lot of the pressure and a lot of the craziness that goes on in the real practice of medicine by finding the humor in it. I bet you would have to, um, as a crime victim advocate myself, working for a couple law enforcement agencies, um, you you have to kind of unwind. Otherwise, if if you're on all the time, it really can make you very very depressed and stressed. So dark humor is your friend in those instances. Absolutely, because people do bad things to each other, and bad things happen to good people, and. Uh, um, Amen to that. You know, that both, both intentionally in crime and both, you know, by Mother Nature and medicine. But, uh, yeah, and, and if you don't find humor in it, I've always said if it's not fun, don't do it. You know, go do something else. Exactly. Let me ask you a question. Um, I, I know that you had a fast, uh, just a big interest in science and anatomy and all, and, and you knew you wanted to be a doctor. But when did you know you wanted to write crime and crime fiction? Well, I kind of always enjoyed telling stories. I mean, you know, in my family, everybody could spin a yarn. And I mean, you know, in my neighborhood and in my state, I mean, in the South, you have to be able to tell a story. People sure don't trust you, do. you if you can't, and you got to be able That's to tell right. a goofy, goofy story. Um, but writing, it's a different animal. So I just decided about 25 years ago, you know, when I retire, I have these stories I want to write. And then I thought, well, if not now, when? Uh, because I'm still not retired, so there's that. Right, uh, so right. I took a couple of classes at University of California, Irvine, and then I started joined a couple of writers' groups and just started writing. And, and the rest, as they say, is history. Which was your first published novel? First published novel was probably uh, Devil's Playground, the first Samantha Cody book. Um, and, and then everything else followed after that. You have a couple different series, and like you say, Jake Longley is a little bit humorous, but mm-hmm. um, Samantha Cody was not, and and, no. and um, that was a, a real more intense work of crime fiction. Well, but her series, always, it, it always had humor in it. There was always funny things that right. happened, but it wasn't right. that. And all of Sam's books, I always say they have a little bit of woo-woo in them, that right. is this real or imagined, is this metaphysical, is this real world? And there's always a little hint. And at the end, I want the reader to walk away saying, did that really happen? 
Um, it, yeah, it's funny you you mentioned that because when I was reading back, because I have your collection on my my bookshelves, and um, I was reading back, and then I was thinking about what you just said about being in the South, you have to be storytellers, and and some of those stories are a little bit kind of woo woo, like say, like oh, Sam yeah. Cody, you know that they're. they're I, I've been around when people talk about the ghost stories or, you know, something in the air or did you see that yeah, or, oh, yeah. my gosh, is that a ghost and all. So it, it stands to reason that a lot of your your writing sure. um, uh, comes from, from that, you know, from your life, obviously. I One thing I did not know, you did um, – uh, and up, you you're doing a thriller series with the Royal Pains Media Tie-in, or you had done that. Will you talk about I, that I, a little bit? I wrote two I wrote two books, media tie-in novels for the Royal Pains TV series, and again oh they God. were they were light and funny because you know it's a light and funny show. It's funny a lot show. Of but uh, yeah, it's a it's, great show. But um, yeah, I, I I did a couple of those. Um, How fun! It, yeah, it was. I, I learned a lot. You know. When you're a physician, you have to write a lot of information down. When you're a writer, you don't want to write tons and tons of information down. So how do you reconcile the two? How did it come together so you weren't doing too much narrative when you started writing fiction? Yeah, uh, that's always the hard part. Anytime you're dealing with something that uh, the average reader doesn't understand, you know, and of course medicine is one of those, um, you have to be careful. I said you can turn it into a textbook, and then it gets boring. Or as Elmore Leonard said, the parts people skip. Um, right. <laughs> but by the same token, if you don't give enough information, then people are confused and they don't understand what's going on. So it's always the right amount, and there's always that balancing act. And a lot of those scenes have to be rewritten a few times to make them make sense, but yet again, not turn into a textbook. My bias is is that more is 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 less is more. Um, yeah. Use a few words. Let the situation. Let people understand what's going on. At the end of the day, it's just people, and uh, they don't have to know all the nuances of of medicine. They just have to know that something bad's going on, and and it's got to be fixed. And this guy's trying to fix it. You know, it's it's it it's that. It's a story. At the end of the day, it's always a story. When you are creating either a new series or a new book, what comes first to you, the character or the plot, the story? Um, really, it depends. Usually, back back in the old days, uh, meaning half a dozen books ago, I outlined a lot. And so I outlined mm-hmm. everything, and so I kind of had it. But I ended up never really following the outline. I always jumped from the rails along the way and, and had to readjust things. But now, like Deep Six, the first uh, long mm-hmm. book, all mm-hmm. I had was a scene in mind. It's the first scene. It's the first chapter. That's it. That's all I had. And I kind of had an idea for Jake, but I didn't know really too many of the other characters. I didn't know who was going to die. I didn't know who the bad guys were. I didn't know how it was going to end. But I had this cool scene, and I just started writing, and it led to the next and the next and the next and the next. The next thing you know, you're 50,000 words into it, and it's like, hey, this is fun. Wow, that's really amazing. You said you don't. You used to outline uh, before. There are, I know, some writers who their outline is, you know, thirty thousand words. Oh and yeah, I, sure. And I and I think, gee, isn't that like the 
the, a third of the book, <laughs> you yeah, know, or it, it, almost that, half like the, the book. That's like the first draft, actually. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, and, you know, if you do, uh, to me, if I did that, even when I did outlines, they were basic plot points. One sentence plot right. points, this, 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 this. Right. All I wanted was a little reminder of how I'm going to order the information, because that's the hard part. If I wrote 75 pages of an outline, I would be bored with it by then, and then I'd have to sit down and slug through the writing. I was kind of like, no, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I have already told ever, the story. I don't want to do this. Do it again, right. Yeah. So have you ever gotten, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30 words in and said, oh, this is complete crap and I'm throwing it away? No. Ever, no you, never, so never do, you edit it, do you edit as you go along? I'll go back and, you know, fix a few things. If you get uh, to Chapter 25 and you realize that some of the stuff you put in Chapter 2 and Chapter 5 needs to be um, tweaked, then you go back and tweak them. But I don't worry about a complete product on any chapter until I've got the first draft done. And to me, get the first draft done, that's the heavy lifting. The rest of it is fun time because now you can go back and fix things and move things and get the writing prettier and, and get all the words that you wanted to say and the feelings and the emotions, all that stuff straightened out. But first thing I have to do is put the story down on page, and then I go back. And usually my first draft's around 60,000 words, and then I go back and start filling in and adding and moving things around, sometimes subtracting, and then it'll end up about 80,000 words when I get the final product. Wow. I want to also mention uh, to listeners that you wrote a nonfiction book called Forensics, a guide for writers, uh, um, how done it. And I think this ties in really well with your podcast because um, I remember listening to your very first show when you came into the network and you described all the methods of murder. I was stunned yeah. I never, you know, it's when you read crime fiction and thrillers and suspense and mysteries, it seems like, you know, there are 10 methods of, of homicide. But the fact of the matter is, there are way more than that. Oh, yeah. And it yeah, was yeah. it was amazing to me. So and, and then you started breaking it down and describing all of them. And the one of the fascinating podcasts you did was on fentanyl and yeah. um and and you know that was so to me so topical at the at the at the time um but um i want to go back to your writing and i first want to talk about sunshine state so i will you give the premise of the book for listeners please yeah basically it's jake who is a reluctant pi and his girlfriend uh, you know, Nicole, who is hot right. and smart, and Pancake, who's big and goofy and very smart, and you don't mess with him, and Ray, who is Ray's, who is uh, Jake's dad, who's really a no-nonsense, ex-spook world kind of guy and doesn't understand why Jake's not very ambitious, you know, after his baseball career <laughs> died and he's just a bar owner. So right. he gets drug into these things. And in this case, a serial killer in prison in Rayford over in Central over in northern Florida um, through a benefactor, hires them to prove that seven of the killings that he confessed to and that his DNA was found at every scene, that two of them he didn't do. And yet the twist is, is he won't tell them which two. He said, you've got to figure it out. If I guide your investigation, no one's going to believe it. They're going to think I manipulated the thing. 
you got to go find out independently, and then I don't have to say anything. I just have to say, yeah, that's what happened. Otherwise, it's going to seem like it's engineered. So they're charged with that, finding out which of the two of the seven Billy Ray didn't do, Billy Wayne didn't do. <laughs> it's yeah, it's um, it's an interesting premise, and I think one that um, have something like that has been in headlines too, hasn't it, Doug? Sure, sure. You know, yeah. People are always saying. I mean, you know, usually it's the other way around. They say they didn't do so many of them, but they actually did. But there's always you see this all the time. You just, well, I didn't do that. I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I did the other twenty, but I didn't do that one. Um, and that happens. And and sometimes yeah. it looks like. This perpetrator, this person did it, and because it smells the same. But at the end of the day, there's no real evidence that they did that particular murder. So I mean, yeah. Yeah, this goes on all the time. Doug, is your study of forensics something you did as part of your um, medical training, or is it something you took on later on? Oh no, I, there was no forensics training in medical school. It was all about living people and you know sick people and getting them well. And, of course, uh, forensics deals with the law. And uh, when I would go to, you know, writers' parties, writers' conferences, people would always ask me about gunshot wounds and poisons. So I basically educated myself in the science of forensic science. Now, I can't go work in a, like a forensic science lab or as a pathologist sure. that stuff. That's way beyond my, my, my expertise. But I do understand the science. It's the same language as medicine. It's the same vocabulary. It's the same science. And Forensic toxicology and clinical pharmacology are really the same thing. You're just looking at it from a different angle. Different way. Interesting. <clears throat> How did you become involved in film and television? Uh, different screenwriters would, again, send me questions and ask me stuff. Uh, I don't I don't go on set and do any of that stuff. I, I don't do that kind of consulting. That's uh, boring, boring, boring. But I work with the writers because, to me, that's where it all starts. The good Absolutely. script is what makes a good story, and so I work with the guys who write the scripts for the different stories and kind of help them get some of the medical and forensic stuff squared away. Do you enjoy doing that? Are you having fun oh, yeah. with that yeah, part? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's a puzzle. You know, it's a puzzle to be solved. It's a, it's a story. It's uh, Who doesn't like stories? It's, a, it's one of those. Yeah. It's, you're trying to make it work uh, within the bounds of acceptability as it were it doesn't have to be real it's just going to be close to real <laughs> when you are working with uh, script and screenwriters has the way that they are are putting together an ep- episodic whether it's television or a movie has that influenced you at all in the way you write your books yeah i think so um and i think again that's where the royal pains helps some because it, it's like writing a script almost it's just you know in narrative rather than in script format because it was so tied to the tv show and i you know i grew up on television you know lucy and all that stuff all the way up sure all my life uh and, and i think that that tvs and movies and stuff like because they are so compact they tell you about they, they, they inform you on how to tell a story how to get a story out quickly and efficiently. I happen to think everyone should read Elmore Leonard for the exact same reason. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. He, is com- he is very concise, very clean, and spends a great yarn with a lot, uh, not a lot of wasted space. Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I remember when I started reading him, 
you know, you could go to the bookstore and his books were not nearly as big as some of the tomes that are being released today. Right. And he told he told a story of 50,000 words that you didn't want to take your eyes off that book for one second because you'd miss something. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really like that. And uh, Ross uh, McDonald was the same way. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there were a lot of writers of, of that era who were writing sure. uh, like that. Oh, Chandler and, 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 and yes. Am, Amit and all those, all those guys. They, they yeah. were very concise. Yes. And it, is, it isn't that I don't love a long book as well, and I, because I do, and I think there are some very fine books that are probably five times that size. They're, they're excellent. But it seems that for audiences today, the average reader does not want uh, 400 pages or 500 pages. Has that right. been your experience? Yeah, I think so, and especially for the type of stuff that I write. But, you know, my other favorite author is James Lee Burke, and I think he's yep. a national treasure. Uh, he his is. books are long, and, and, and they they're are. beautifully, beautifully poetically written. And so the stories are much slower than, than, than say, Elmore Leonard's stories are that are bang, 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 bang. Yeah. But yet the writing is so beautiful, and the characters are so rich that you just get yes. immersed into it. You know, yes. it, it, like, his you know, imagery. Like a sorghum. I mean, it, you know, it's great. The imagery in his books. You know, huh. Jim comes every January to to the show, and I'm delighted to have him every year. I try to get a different host. You'll be the host coming up in January for his next book. Um, he his imagery and how he describes just a facial feature or an yes. affect or or the tilt of a hat is so amazing to me and he's so fascinating to listen to him because he's brilliant too i mean oh, he's really unbelievable uh, unbelievable yeah yeah uh, and such I'm a gentleman so, such a nice person yeah he, he's he is very very nice um and i enjoy him and his daughter writes a, a darn fine yes. book too yes so, she does um, yes she does yep she sure does um What's next for you? You're right. You've got three books in, on the back burner there. Um, you're going to do something in a series again, and one of the series books is coming out? Yeah, of course, Sunshine State's out today, and next right. April, the fourth uh, Longley book will be out. It's called Rigged. It's all done, and, and uh, Pat's editing it now. Uh, oh, and boy. then I have a new series starting in October that's uh, the Kane Harper series, and it's a, it's – it's long and involved, but it's called Skin in the Games, and it's the beginning of a whole new series. So what I'm working on now is the second book in that series, and I'm about a little wow. over 30,000 words into it. You do an awful lot of writing, Doug. Um, are you at your computer every day? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, you know, I'm always doing something uh, here in the office, wherever I am. I'm always doing something. And a lot of it relates to writing. If it's not actually creating product, it's marketing, it's reading blogs, it's research, it's whatever. But I'm on the computer all the time. Um, I do not have a set schedule. I refuse to do that. I refuse to make this a job. So I don't get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to write from 8 till 11. That's not going to happen. I write right. when I want to, and I don't write when I don't. Like today, I sat outside and wrote for two hours, wrote another chapter and a half of the book I'm working on. And... Um, and tomorrow I may do nothing. You know, it, it, I just do it when I feel like it. Fortunately, I, like, fi- I feel like it a lot. <laughs> That's great. Do you like sitting outside in nature and just uh, oh, yeah. pounding away on yeah, the I keyboard? Oh yeah, I got a great I got a great patio here in uh, in uh, 
or crochet type thing. I guess they call it a pavilion, uh-huh. and I sit out there and uh, it's uh, I got big trees in my backyard, and I got lots of hummingbirds and squirrels and all kinds of stuff out there. So I, that's where I hang out. <laughs> do you do you have like a, a particular routine that you have to do? Do you listen to music or you know? drink coffee or burn incense. I mean, not that I can imagine you doing that, but yeah, I mean, is I, there, always is have, there... I, I always have something on. I always have the television on. It's always something, uh, this crime show going on in the background. If it's quiet, I can't concentrate. Really? I, all the way through medical school, I studied with music going because once you get that background noise going, now it, it forces you to focus that out and focus on what you're paying attention to. If I'm just paying attention to something that's quiet, my mind starts wandering, and I start going other places and not paying attention to what I'm doing. But if I have background noise, I focus better. I don't know why. It's just always been that way. That's interesting. That's it. Well, I don't know if you're in a dorm or you know around a lot of other people. It You probably didn't have a lot of quiet space. I'm not, I don't know. It um, didn't matter, it, didn't it matter has, to me. Yeah, it has a certain makes a certain amount of sense to me. I'm a singularly focused. So if there's noise in the background, I don't even notice it after a while. Exactly. It's just gone. Yeah. Exactly. So um, tell everybody where they can find you on your various websites and places and locations. Well, if you just go to the website, it will connect you to everything, and that's dplylemd.com, d-p-l-y-l-e-m-d.com, and that'll connect you to my blog and to the uh, the podcast series and to the radio show that Jan Burke and I did for three and a half right. years. And, Right. And the research, all the, all the books, everything about them, how to order them, you know, of course, all that stuff. But it, that's the that's the hub. If you go there, you can connect to everything. Yeah, honestly, it's it's it is so full of content that when I was studying, you know, preparing myself for our interview, it took me a good couple hours to go through everything, and, and it was a joy. <laughs> it was a lot of fun to read it. I, I really enjoyed it. So good, um, thank good. you for that. This is D.P. Lyle. He is the his book released today called Sunshine State. It's part of his Jake Longley series. I wholeheartedly recommend this book. Um, I know our review team loved it, and I loved it, and I love Doug Lyle. So, Doug, (laughs) thank you. you. (laughs) I love you. And I'll see you in July. (laughs) You will see me in July, New York. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, listeners, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.